0: Welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, October thirty first, two thousand twenty one, from the Gospel of Luke in chapter twenty four.
1: I wanted to read you guys out of this. Comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty four, and it says that after. Jesus was risen from the dead. And it says in verse 13, On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along among them, along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, What were you all talking about while you were walking along? And they stood still with their face downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, Come on, man, are you like the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened these days? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this happened, and in addition, some of our women amazed us And they went to the tomb early in the morning and didn't find his body and came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just like the woman said, but they didn't see him. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have written. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And he, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, Lord, help us to understand this. We love you, Lord. And, um, you know, when I think about the fact that we, our faith is in someone, that we're looking to someone. We're looking to you. We have someone who loves us, someone who sustains us, someone who gets us through everything, someone who takes care of us. We believe a lot of things, but we trust in someone. Thank you, Lord. Help us to love you more. In your precious name, amen. You know, I think I told you guys once, there was um. Like one of my favorite people was a pastor named Eugene Peterson. He was kind of a he wrote books that pastors read about how to be a pastor and all that. Um, He translated the Bible into what they call the Message. But when he was a kid, his mother and dad they loved the Lord. He grew up in the Rocky Mountains of Idaho, and there weren't like a lot of. Jesus followers in his town, but he loved Jesus, and when he went to school, he loved school, but he kind of was bullied a lot, and there, especially by this one kid named Garrison, who bullied him all the time. And he, and like after school, he would like bully him and beat him up and call him a Jesus baby, and um, and then one spring, he said he had grown a little bit during the winter, and he had just had all he could take of it, and he just. Shoved him, like shoved said, And he fell to the ground and he jumped on his chest and he put his knees on his elbows. And he punched him in the face and like blood started splurting out of his nose. And Eugene said it just woke something up in him and he just punched him again. And there was like more blood coming out of his nose. And he started to feel like maybe this really wasn't the holy will of Jesus for him to be doing this. And he didn't quite know how to back out of it. But the kid said, let me up, let me up. And he said, say I accept Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior. And he said, and he said, no. And he was like, bam. He said, say it. I accept Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior. He said, no. Bam. He said, say it. He goes, I accept Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior. And he let him in. And he said, that was his first um, convert, like in his life. So there was a, but there was a time when like at the beginning of, at the beginning of our faith, when like followers of Jesus were spreading all around the Roman Empire. And, and, really about around the 300s there was a lot of persecution because the followers of Jesus were saying that Jesus was their Lord and the emperor of the Roman Empire said no that's my job like I'm everybody's Lord and you can't have another Lord besides me and they said well we do so they were beaten and thrown in prison and you know thrown to the lions and all that stuff But they remained strong. And then there was another Roman, an an emperor, who he was probably the first um, proponent of, if you can't beat him, join him. And he kind of became a Christian, maybe, named Constantine. But So there was this pastor uh, who was really well-known whose name was Arius, and I don't know whether he was kind of trying to take a step towards Constantine, but he said, you know, when we say that Jesus is Lord, I mean, we don't really mean that Jesus is like Almighty God or anything. And um, I mean, he's Lord, I mean, and he was awesome but he's not like equal to God the Father. And all the other pastors were like, yes, he is. And they said, he said, well, no, not really. And they were like, yes, he is. I mean, the Bible says he is. John said in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And when Thomas saw Jesus risen from the dead, he fell on his knees and said, my Lord and my God, Jesus was almighty God who became a human being. And and Arius was like, nah, not really. I mean, just kind of like that and then so there was like a lot of disagreement about that. And the Roman Constantine, he said, y'all people need to like decide what you believe. Like, because I can't really have this, like y'all arguing about this. And so if this is going to be like our religion now, you got to figure out what you believe about Jesus. And... Um, So he got all of these pastors, a lot of them had like one eye and had lost a leg and the persecutions they endured because of their faith in Jesus as almighty God who became a human being. And anyway, he got about 300 of them together at a city called Nicaea, and he said, okay, and he sat on a big throne and said, okay, y'all figure this out. And Arius got up there and started saying his stuff, you know. And there was a pastor who got, he said, okay, I've had enough of this. His name was, um, He was from the city of Myrna, his name was Nicholas. And he just walked up to him and punched him in the face. And he was just like, I'm done with you. Like, just bam. And people were like, well, I mean, that's one way to deal with that. Um, Nicholas of of Myrna, though, was... um, he went by the name Santos Nikolaus. Um, We know him as Saint Nicholas. Like, he's the one who became Santa Claus. And, I mean, I could just see, like, Santa Claus at this conference, you know, just taking that big coat off and just walking up to a guy just like, <laughs> bam, I am done with that mess. And, you know, the, and he said, and, and I'm going to be watching you and watching you when you sleep. And I know when you're awake. And I know if you've done better good. So... <laughs> you know, but it was a thing. Like, it was really, 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 really important to him because this is, like, our faith. Like, this is our creed. This is what we believe. This is essential to what we believe. Believing is what we do. We're believers, and we believe certain things. I think we live in a society that thinks believing is really cool. I mean, if you go into, like, gift shops of, like, hospitals and stuff, sometimes you'll see signs that just say, believe. Like, it's really cool. Just, you know, believe. I'm, there was one sign that I'd kind of been surveying them being in the hospital one sign that said everybody has to believe something I believe I'm going fishing but there. were but so but I kind of took a little bit of a survey of signs like that about believing and I pretty much came up with three things that are kind of culture today believe in and one is um Believe, like, in yourself. Like, that's really something that people encourage us to believe in. Believe in yourself. And two, believe that... um, If you believe it enough, you can do anything. Like, believe it... If you believe it, you can achieve it. And you can do anything you think you can if you believe you can. And a third thing is... Believe to be blessed. If you believe something awesome is going to happen to you, it will. So followers of Jesus believe things too, and we believe things that are kind of like that, only the exact opposite. Like I believe unless somebody intervened in my life, something awful was going to happen to me, not something awesome. It was going to be awful. And I believe that the, that, I could achieve a lot in my life. I could achieve a big disaster. Like it was gonna be a big disaster and an absolute mess. That's what I believe about my achievements. And I got to a point where I don't really believe in myself at all anymore. I had to believe in someone else. And people look at that and say, well, that's like super negative. Like what you all believe is so kind of, it's such a downer. And you're supposed to be spreading this message everywhere. How do you get people to believe this? And the reason that other people might open their heart to believing that is that what we believe as followers of Jesus, theoretically, out of the gratitude that we feel and out of the peace we get, And out of the joy that comes from believing what we believe is designed to make believers in Jesus uniquely beautiful people in the world. Like to make us into the most beautiful, I mean, it breaks down along the way, but it's supposed to make us into the most beautiful human beings that walk the earth. There was a place in the book of Acts chapter 16 where Uh, there were a couple of guys that got arrested, you know, Paul and his buddy, and they got arrested for telling people about Jesus, and they were beaten and thrown into a dungeon, you know, and the guy that had done it, that had arrested them and beaten them and thrown them into a dungeon, he heard them back there, and all of a sudden, they were just singing, and they were singing praises, and he was like, these guys, I mean, they have so much joy and so much peace after what's happened to them, and so much Gratitude to somebody that they're singing to, and I didn't see anybody else go back in there with them, but Jesus, somehow, they're just like super thankful to to him. It's kind of amazing. And it wasn't a matter of a few minutes when he was saying, how do I have what you have? Like, how do I be like you guys? You all are amazing. And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be. You could be saved just like me. And it says, with many other words, he explained the message of Jesus. He told them the essentials of faith in Jesus, which are basically these, like the essential things that a person has to believe to be a follower of Jesus are these that we believe in one God, This one God subsists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is love, and he loves all of us. And we believe we have made a complete and total mess of everything. We've all done a million things that are wrong and thought a million things that are wrong. We're hopelessly polluted. We can't pay for what we've done. We can't change our own heart in any way. That's why Jesus came into our world. Almighty God the Son became a human being to teach us how to live, to show us how to live. One day, my hope is that you guys can say this back with me. Nobody's ever followed his teachings or his example. He came primarily to die, to die and to pay for all the mess we've made, rise from the dead and offer to whoever wants it, a complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done, do or will do, a new start, a new heart, a place in God's family and a place in his home forever. It's a gift. All you have to do is say, I need this. I want this. I will take it. And when a person does take that gift, theoretically, out of the joy that this message brings, out of the peace it gives you, out of the gratitude that swells up in your heart, it should make you a uniquely beautiful person in the world, so I was listening to this um, lecture that has kind of blown my mind, and it changed my it's just changed it just it exploded in my heart a few months ago. it was um it was a like a a man. Uh, He's actually the dean in a very biblically conservative theological seminary in the United States, which is a predominantly um, what they call a, it was, it was a predomin, it's predominantly a white evangelical space. Like most of the students, they're white, and most of the faculty is white, but he's African American, and he is a dean there. And he was, it's a real Calvinistic school and all that, and he was giving a lecture on the American Civil Rights Movement and the biblical basis for it And he said, um, okay, so we believe in the essential things of the Christian faith. I believe they're essential. I believe in all of them. I believe in the Trinity. There's one God in three persons. I believe in the deity of Jesus. He was almighty God who became a human being. I believe in the substitutionary atonement that Jesus died to pay the penalty for everything that we've done. I believe that he rose from the dead, that he's alive today. I believe in salvation through faith alone. These are the essentials of our faith. They are essential, I believe, all of them. There is no place in the scriptures that say that list is essential. And I thought, wow. He said, you won't find it. I think they're essential, and I think they're all in there, but there's no place that says they're essential. When the Bible talks about what is essential to the Christian faith, it says things like this. What does God require of you? That you love justice. Love, that you love mercy that you act justly and that you walk humbly with God. That's what God requires of us. There's a place in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, where John said, many other signs Jesus did that are not written in these books, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing you might have life through his name, like the Gospel of John was written so that you could believe in Jesus and all you have to do is believe and you have life. But then he wrote a letter, his first letter, in chapter five and verse 13, it says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might know that you have eternal life. And it's like, how do you know? Well, you read that letter, and one thing he says is if you believe in Jesus as your savior, you will love. Love is an essential component to our faith. He said, if you hate people, I don't know what you did or didn't do but that's not faith in Jesus. You can't have faith in Jesus and hate people. There's a place in first, it's, a, it's, it's an essential. There's a place in First Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul said, if you don't have love, and he means kindness, and not taking into account a wrong suffered, and believing the best about everyone, and being, you know, not getting upset with people, and all the 15 things he says that love does or doesn't do, but he said, if you don't have love, you're nothing. If you don't have love, you're, he said, your faith is—it's really worth nothing. And the word "nothing" is—it's a, it's a Greek word that one biblical scholar said it is a powerful grammatical negation. It means there is no valid example of an exception to this existing. And I thought, wow. So apparently, love is an essential, it's an essential thing that you believe that Jesus was almighty God and became a human being. It's essential that you believe that he paid for all of our mess and that he rose from the dead and that you trust in him. These are essential. And it's essential that this turns you into a person who loves other people. So so, so one thing I thought This whole thing has just been churning in my brain. And just like it kind of blew my whole mind up. And I've been thinking about it for weeks and weeks. So one thing I thought I might like to do, maybe for a month or so, is just like I want to take four basic concepts that the New Testament tells us about Jesus that are essential to our faith and try to understand if you believe each one of those essential concepts, it will change you in an essential way, so that you will essentially be completely different. And why is that? So I want to think about Jesus before he created the world, Jesus when he was born on the earth, Jesus when he died for the world, and Jesus when he rose from the earth. And if I really, really believe those four fundamental concepts, I will be essentially changed in four specific ways. But if it's okay with you, I want to take them going backwards. So I want to think for just a few minutes about Jesus, risen from the dead, like the New Testament said that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was nailed there until he was dead. And he was dead. You know, one of my jobs at the hospital, that I'm, this thing I'm doing right now, is that I have to be with people, with family members, and be with someone until they're dead. And we pray together, and then we cry together, and then they're dead. And, and sometimes, we used to say, that, to be more gentle, they've passed away. Today, for some reason, people don't say away anymore, they say they've passed. It's almost like it's too harsh to even say that they're away. But it's a pr- impressive when a, when a nurse or a doctor will come in and look at the family member and say, they're dead. And, but they, they know it, you know it. You know when someone is dead and they knew that Jesus was dead and then not on the next day but the next day after he came back to life he was alive he was alive in more ways than even before in new dimensional ways Jesus was alive so that we could know that what he paid for us counted so that so that if he calls us to a relationship to, with him we can have it because he's alive and you can know him and, and you can walk with him and you th- and think, so if i have to believe that Jesus is alive from the dead if that's essential how do i no. but there's so many stories like there was like you know like Peter who was one of his followers who was so afraid and when Jesus was arrested he went and hid and when Jesus was dead he was so scared and all of a sudden he ran onto the streets preaching that Jesus was alive and that he had seen him and he was like so brave and it's because you know I've seen him risen from the dead Jesus had had Four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters. Like after he was born by a miracle, Joseph and Mary had other kids and his brothers didn't believe in him and then all of a sudden they made fun of him and then all of a sudden his brother James, like he was like super believed that Jesus was the, the savior because he had seen Jesus risen from the dead and there was like the Apostle Paul who like completely hated the whole thing and he just thought like to say that a lower middle class craftsman from Galilee was the Messiah who had been died that horrible way, I mean, no. We can't have this. And then all of a sudden, he became the greatest champion of Jesus because he had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And he said, there's over 500 people. Some of you can interview them. And they've seen Jesus risen from the dead. So that's why we believe Jesus has risen from the dead because of all these stories. And then you think, well, how do I know these stories are true? Um, Well, for me, it's because they're in the scriptures. And I believe every word of the scriptures are true you do yes i do i do i believe every word i believe that the scriptures are a miraculous book i believe every word in the scriptures is exactly the word god intended to be there i believe every letter is exactly the letter that god intended to be there i believe that when you read this the bible the scriptures and it says something it's like that's it's that's god telling you something, telling you things that you could never know in any other way about yourself, about himself, about this world we live in. That's what I believe about the scriptures. It's a miraculous book. The reason I believe that is because Jesus believed it. Jesus believed that the scriptures, that existed up to that point like the prophets and moses and the writings in the old testament he believed that this was a miraculous book that every word was exactly what god intended like he there was one place in mark chapter 12 where he is there were people that were giving him a hard time and he was going to try to like shut this whole thing down and he quoted from exodus chapter three and the point he made was In that verse, there is this word and not that word. There's the word is and not the word was. Every word is exactly what God intended. There's a place in John chapter 10 where he quotes Psalm 82 to kind of shut some people down that were giving him a problem. And he said, this word ends in I and it doesn't end in S. Every letter is exactly what God intended. There's a place in Matthew chapter 19 where he quoted from genesis chapter 2 and he said as it doesn't say this in genesis chapter 2 but he said as god said in genesis chapter 2 in other words whatever the scriptures say god says jesus believed it and the re and i believe the scriptures are a miraculous book because jesus believed it and jesus rose from the dead I believe everything he says. Yeah, but how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, because the scriptures say it. Well, how do you know the scriptures are true? Oh, because Jesus believed in Jesus rose from the dead. Well, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, because the scriptures say it. Hey, brother, you're in the, you're like going around in circles here. I am. But isn't it a... Beautiful circle. I mean, there's a so so in in Luke chapter 24. So there are at least two people. I believe it was. It's, it doesn't say two men. It says two people. One of them was named Cleopas. There is a woman named Mary who was at the cross of Jesus, whose husband was named Clopas. And a lot of people think it's the same people. I personally believe it was Clopas and Mary. And they were going back home, you know. And they and and Jesus was dead, and they were so upset. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was. They didn't realize it was Jesus. Maybe they were just like sleep deprived, they were crying so much for whatever reason. They didn't realize it was Jesus. And he said, what are y'all talking about? About Jesus? Come on now. How do you not know about this? And then Jesus could have done a number of things. He could have shown them like he did to Thomas and the disciples, his scars. Look guys, look. Look at this. Look, it's me. He could have... Uh, hours later, he would walk into a room with the door closed, like right through the wall. He could have walked through a tree. And it's just like, how did you do that? I'm Jesus risen from the dead. Or he could have just like Mary Magdalene, he said, Mary. He could have just said to them, Mary, Clopas. I know you prefer to be called Clopas. And they were like, it's him. That's not what he did. He said, let's look at the scriptures, folks. Mm. It's a miraculous book, what it said about the Messiah. I mean, think about it. Isaiah, I would have loved to have been there. Isaiah chapter 9 said that a king is coming. He's going to take over the world. And of the end of his, of his kingdom, there will be no end. But if you go to chapter 53, talking about that same Messiah, it said he grew up before us like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty that we should desire him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. We did esteem him strongly of God, smitten and afflicted, but he was wounded for our, tr- Think about this, guys. Think about it. He was wounded for our, they were like, wow, our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what you were seeing out there. That's what people saw out there. Like a lamb before his shears was silent. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't, did he? Did you talk to anybody that was out there? He didn't say anything. He was so silent. And then Isaiah says, 700 years before the first Christmas, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he would be with the rich man in his death. Who asked for his body? Oh, a friend of ours named Joseph. He's super loaded. There you go. (laughs) That, you know, Isaiah chapter, Psalm 22. Didn't he say... Wasn't it true that he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It comes from Psalm 22, written a thousand years before this. And it said, my tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. All my bones are out of joint. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Crucifixion was invented 600 years after that was written. They cast lots for my clothing. And then in Isaiah 52, It says, how will we know if God's Messiah did what he was sent to do? Here's how you'll know. He will rise. He will be lifted up. He will be very high. You don't make this stuff up. You know, so, okay, so, let's say I'm a person and I believe That Jesus is alive today. He's risen from the dead. Because I believe in the miraculous book. I believe that the scriptures are a miraculous book. And that they tell me things about myself I couldn't ever know in any other way. And about him that I couldn't know in any other way. And about the world that I couldn't know in any other way. I believe that about the scriptures. And I believe what they tell me about Jesus. And I believe Jesus is alive. And I believe he wants me to be with him. And he, I believe he wants me to have a relationship with him. I believe he's trying to make me more and more every day. More and more like him. Which I don't even know what that means. That, is, that right there changes me in an essential way, because what it makes me think is, if this book tells me things about myself that I can't know, unless it told me, is there anything else I don't know about me? Is there anything else? I need to be told about him, about this world, and about myself. If he's trying to make me like him and I don't even know how, are there things about the way I think that are wrong? Are there things that are, maybe there's attitudes and opinions and values that I've learned from my family that they're not right? Maybe, maybe things that I've learned from my friends, they're not right. I have a miraculous book that could tell me is there other stuff I need to know? I would be, if I believe that, it would make me essentially curious. It would make me essentially teachable. Tell me about myself things that I don't know. Tell me about things that need to change about me, that about the way I think and feel that I don't know. As the Bible says, if I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead because I believe what the miraculous book says about that, I will be essentially repentant. The word repentance is a word that means to change your mind, change the way you think. For the rest of my life, I want to be ready to change the way I think. If the miraculous book might tell me something that I don't know about myself, I want to change it. John the I mean, I didn't mean to say that, but stuff I learned in church that's not right. I mean, I learned all kinds of stuff in church, and the more I learned the book, I realized that ain't right. I mean, I learned in church like you're supposed to be, uh, God doesn't care how happy you are. He cares how holy you are. Right. Okay, but when you read the book, that isn't true. It doesn't say that. Joy is super, super important to him. Well, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Whatever, Not in the book, there's not. It's the same thing. And the greatest expression of holy, the holiness of Jesus, is Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts out with nine times saying to you, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? This is all about happiness. So here's another thing that I learned when I started going to church when I was 20. Love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. Not in the book, it's not. Like in the book, love is something that you feel. So there's 10, there's 10, there's 12 times. There's a word that's used in the New Testament. It means to be to be filled with compassion. The word compassion. Once it's in a story that Jesus told, another time it's in another to- story that Jesus told, and the other 10 times are about Jesus. Whenever he saw someone who was suffering or sorrowful, someone who was afflicted or oppressed or neglected, or someone who was in trouble or in pain, or someone who was hopeless or someone who was helpless, it said he. He was filled with compassion and you're like well if love is a choice how did he choose that he didn't choose it It's not a choice. The word compassion, the Greek word is the word splonta. It means your intestines. It was a bodily reaction. It's like it was, like we would say it was visceral. Like the, the word viscine in Italian, it means your intestines. It's something that you just feel it. You just, as soon as I see someone sorrowful or somebody who is suffering, I'm just filled with this thing. It's just the way my body responds in compassion towards this person. They're suffering. They're sorrowing. And the reason that he didn't have to think about it or didn't have to choose it was because he was God. God is love. Jesus was love. That's how love responds. That's how love responds. I have Jesus living, risen from the dead living inside of me. Almighty God lives inside of me. Love lives inside of me. I grew up, when I was a Christian, they used to say in our churches, we don't believe in the social gospel. We believe in the real gospel. We're not here to help people with their, we help the poor find food. We're here to save people's souls. I heard someone say the other day that the cause of social justice is the greatest impediment to the gospel today. And I'm like, I don't know how somebody could say that. For Jesus, it's just love. I don't, it's love. If you see someone suffering, if you see someone sorrowful, if you see someone who was neglected or someone oppressed or someone in trouble or someone in pain or someone hopeless or someone helpless, love feels that. Love lives inside of me. I should feel it. Um... I should love. When I see somebody having a hard time, I should love them. It should be a bodily, that's what the Bible says, it should be a bodily response to love them. So, if I haven't been thinking that way, repentance is kind of who I am now. If the book has something to tell me, I wanna know. If there's some way I need to change, and I know there's a million, I wanna know. Because I believe in a miraculous book that tells me my savior is risen, and he's working working to make me like him. I don't know what that means, but I do wanna know. Lord Jesus, give us a flexibility Of heart and mind give us a hunger just to love gently being told things about ourselves that aren't right things about ourselves that we need to change the way we think learning to think according to the miraculous book learning to think according to the risen Savior (sighs) help us to be essentially (laughs) repentance love repentance because we believe you're alive in your precious name amen
0: alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as i upon the tree amazing pity grace unknown and love beyond The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Lord, I give myself away, it's all that I can.